0: Hi, guys, thanks for listening to Library Overload. This is Susie. And this is Tavia. Don't forget to check out our blog. We'll list out all the books we talk about in every episode. You can find us at libraryoverload.home.blog. We're also more active on Instagram. We'll show you cute pictures of the things that we've been reading. Uh, you can find us at Library Overload there. Hey, so we are super happy to still be continuing our spooktober. I know it's week three, week three, and I'm not even close to being done. Me either. I have so many more that I want to try and cram in. Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too. I have a couple more Agatha Christie's I want to get to. I have none to talk about this week. So y'all get a reply. I I was expecting an (laughs) Agatha from you. So I'm so proud Mm -hmm. of you. Yes, yes. I read a couple of other things that don't necessarily give, like, typical Halloween vibes, but I think they're creepy as heck, so, you know. Okay, I mean, that counts. Yeah. Um, I've got two from Daniel that I'm going to be talking about. I'm sure he's going to be so pleased. He's <laughs> already been like, what are you reading next? What's the plan for the next book? Like what? And I'm like, I there are other books. Daniel, give me a second. But, Well, I'll get started with one more of the classics that I had talked about that I was reading last week. And so that was The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert oh. Louis Stevenson. I'm I so didn't... proud of you for reading all of these classics. Thank you. I started Dracula today. Ooh. We'll see how it goes. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but... I did not realize that the person who wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was also, was Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote Treasure Island. Like, that never went together in my mind. When you said Robert Louis Stevenson, I was like, that's, that can't be right. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's so weird. Surprisingly, it is. I looked it up. That's crazy. Yeah. But this was written in 1886. And... Pretty much everyone knows the story, I suppose, but I I didn't realize the way that it was set up. It's actually told from the perspective of John Utterson, who is the lawyer of Dr. Jekyll. He has been lifelong friends with Dr. Jekyll, and he gets his interest piqued when all of the sudden Dr. Jekyll changes his will to leave everything to Mr. Hyde. And hmm. so then Dr so John Utterson is trying to figure out what in the world is going on over there. Sure. And then it comes out that Hyde is a nefarious character. There's some suspect things going on. He ends up killing someone. And so they go to talk to Dr. Jekyll about his friend Mr. Hyde, and he's like, "No, no, I'm gonna take care of it. I've got it. You'll never see him again. And then everything's fine for like a year. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that Dr. Jekyll can no longer control the transformations. So mm. at first, he was drinking the potion. Okay, to that's turn what turned into remember. Mr. Hyde. Yeah. So that he could, it's like the duality of human nature. So he could kind of like let his bad emotions out, but still be Dr. Jekyll get some of that off of his chest and so he was kind of experimenting with that well then it got to where mr hyde didn't want to go away so he overpowers the serum and then towards the end dr jekyll has to take the serum to keep hyde away instead of to bring him back so that's it's very interesting and then there's like a standoff at the end and they find dr jekyll or mr hyde dead wearing Dr. Jekyll's clothing and then it all comes out in letters that were written to Dr. or to Mr. Utterson after the the fact to explain what happened. Spoiler alert. It was written in 1886. That's on you. Um. I I've never read it and I'm trying to think if I've seen any movies with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and I think the only one I've seen is the extraordinary Le- or the league, league of, of extraordinary Extra- yeah mm-hmm. apparently we can't say that the league of extraordinary gentlemen yes. got it nailed it <laughs> <laughs> but yes that is where I have seen him. I don't. I've not really seen anything much else except maybe a Scooby Doo. There you go. <laughs> Which is fantastic, if I do yes, say so myself. Absolutely. But it is the. I mean, it's been around for a long time, so we all know the story. We've heard of Jekyll and Hyde, uh, but I never had realized that it was told from a third party. Third. Nope. <laughs> why don't we just stop (laughs) it's too bad that those podcasts depends on us talking in English I I mean we could try to like do it in um, interpretive dance if you would like I speak French and Spanish but only conversationally and I could sign my part so I think it'll be successful yeah and then you could throw in the interpretive dance so that would yeah it'll be good People will like it. I think so. Um, They won't be able to see the interpretive dance, so we'll just have to think about that really hard. That'll be fine. Visualize. Yeah. I could explain what I'm doing as I do it. (laughs) When (laughs) I was in high school, I was in the youth group at church, and we did interpretive movement, like sign language kind of. Oh, dancing God. to religious songs. It was actually really cool. And there were some where Are they were black sure? Yes, I was. Are you was sure old. it was cool? Well, cool may not be the operative word, but it was a lot of fun. I had there a lot we go. of fun. There, we there go. was some where they turned the lights out and we, we did wore white gloves. White gloves. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Yeah, that was cool in the nineties. That was in the early two thousands. How old do you think <laughs> I am? Agent. Mm i do feel old uh, yeah well as i hobble around i do as well <laughs> Yeah. anyway what i was trying to say before this long tangent is i didn't realize it was told in the third person i'm so proud of you <laughs> <laughs> but apparently a lot of things from this time were like, when Mm -hmm. I look back at sleepy hollow, it was told kind of like in a third person narrative Mm -hmm. as well. Well, first person gets kind of a bad rap. Sometimes you, sometimes Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't do it very well. So I, Mm -hmm. I feel like third person is a normal narrative, narrative, narrative. That's the word. I was like, I got halfway through the word. We are really on a roll today. Oh Lord. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to go yes. from here. But that Mm-mm. I enjoyed it. I gave it three stars. It wasn't like my most favorite thing ever. Like I did not love it as much as I love Sleepy Hollow. I was going to ask how they compared. Yeah. No. It, it was just. It was good. Okay. I, mean, I don't want to read it again. But I could read Sleepy Hollow every Halloween. I think. Uh, Sleepy Hollow was just like. It is quintessentially halloween yes like it is just it's perfect and just um, the the language was so descriptive mm-hmm. that i could just picture it so vividly like i felt like i was there which it especially like i said for an older book is very surprising to me right sometimes older books they're when the the author thinks they're being descriptive it's more just that they're being loquacious yes what, Tolkien comes to mind, because yes, he can be descriptive, but he can also just go on a tangent about a creek. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a difference, and I think a lot of older books get it wrong, so -hmm. that's really cool that they were able to balance that. Yeah, absolutely. But Jekyll and Hyde was pretty cool. I didn't ever know the full name of it, but it was called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I had no idea that Robert Louis Stevenson had written it, so... No, that's weird. I had no idea. That, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you were able to read it. Me too. Just knocked that quick, off the list. Yep, it was a quick short read and it was another classic that I got to, like you said, knock off the list. I like it. Okay, I'm going to go so weird, y'all. I Do even, it. I don't even Do know. Um, but I blame Daniel. So it can't be it's any fine. weirder than Sasquatch. Come on now. No, Sasquatch was awesome. You shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So this is The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. This was kind of the kickstart to the Hellraiser movie series. Mm. And so I kept waiting to find Pinhead. Never showed up. But let me back up. First of all, I want y'all to know. In the description, I'm looking at Goodreads right now. In the description... It says, The Hellbound Heart is one of his best, one of the most dead frightening stories you are likely to ever read. Disregard that line. It <laughs> is false. It is one of the weirdest things you'll read, but it is not the most frightening things you'll read. I think um, you and I talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on we the did last, on their podcast. Like, yeah. but I think books just in general are not as frightening as movies or shows. Because you don't have an assault on all of your senses. At the same time. Right, You're just vividly hallucinating in your head. But you're not like hearing. The, the music. Right. And things like that. Which makes a big difference. Um, but yeah. So this was based. In a nutshell. This book was. Bad people. Making bad decisions. <laughs> and being tortured for the rest of their lives. Because of it. The end. So, so Hell. Yeah, but, and so, you meet, you meet Frank, and Frank has this, like, crazy, insatiable, sexual appetite. Like, you get the, you get the idea. I wish you guys could see her face. It's pretty spectacular. Like, you get the idea that he's, like, this gross dude that hits on everything that moves and, like, is gross. Like, Mm -hmm. like a guy that you would throw your drink at in a bar kind of dude. Um, so he somehow, some way, finds out about this box, and it. I believe I asked Daniel how to pronounce it. I think it's LaMarchon's box. And when it's, it's kind of one of those little puzzle boxes where you have to like move it around and move one section at a time. Finally, it opens, and it opens up this portal essentially, which he thinks is going to give him unmeasurable pleasure. He thinks it's going to be, I guess, the 77 virgins in heaven. I don't know what he was expecting. He did not get that, though. (laughs) He is tortured and and is gone. He goes missing. So fast forward a little bit in time. And his brother and his brand-new bride are moving into this family home that is now empty. They're going to be moving in. When they move in... The room that he was in when he went missing, when he was taken to this other realm, is a really creepy, damp room. One day, his brother goes into that room and accidentally cuts his hand. And so the blood drips on the floor. Well, when Julia, his wife, goes back to the room to clean it up, the blood is gone. And she figures out, eventually, that that blood is feeding Frank and giving him a way to come back. And so then it becomes uh, okay, well, that let's tracks. give him, sure. So let's give him more blood. Let's give him more to get him out of there. And again, bad people doing bad things. And it just, it gets weirder. In what, in, in what plausible universe do you see the blood disappear, realize it's feeding an evil monster, and then think that it is a good idea to give it more? Well, it's she doesn't think it's an evil monster. She just thinks that oh no, poor Frank is stuck in there and he gave me one of the best nights of my life and I should help get him out with um uh, doing I whatever can I can do. Okay. And so it's just oh, you're making bad decisions. Stop it. It's the it's the commercial. Yes. It's like, why over. can't we get in the running car? Yes, that one. Mm-hmm yeah it was just it was really frustrating however i will say that it it definitely had like the creepy like uh, i don't know how this is gonna go um but it wasn't even a little bit terrifying so i'm sure the movies are horrific never gonna watch them
1: but you were know, more what.
0: frustrated than you were yeah, um, but another plus about it was it's more of a novella. It's only 164 pages. Yeah, good. Um, so that was nice. I'm intrigued to see how it sets up Hellraiser. Exactly. So like the Cenobites that are in Hellraiser are in this book, but that's literally the only similarity. <laughs> so I wonder if it's like a prequel or I don't know where it a fits prequel? in. A, a prequel, if you will. I don't know how it fits into that world. But, yeah, it didn't have a lot of overlap. Daniel and I spoke on it ad nauseum. So, but, yeah, I gave it I gave it three stars just because it did have that definite, like, ugh kind of it vibe. It was more of a gory type thing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just, like, why am I, why do I want to read bad people do bad things? Like, it, it didn't, I don't know, no one was likable. Like, it was. Redeemable characters. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing, for sure. Yes. Even in your, your scary stuff, you want someone to root for. Exactly. But we'll get there. I'm getting there. We'll, we're going to talk. Okay. We're going to keep talking. Well, I am going to talk about, again, another one that's not not typically Halloween-y, but I find frightening, and okay. that is Seductive Poison, a Jonestown Survivor's Story of Life and Death Inside the People's Temple. Oh, this is so creepy, though. Not specifically Halloween, but I don't think you get creepier than cults. Mm -mm. (laughs) And this is by Deborah Layton, and she was actually a member of the People's Temple. She went with him to Guyana and escaped. When was Jonestown? Was I alive? No. It was one month before Daniel was born. Wow. I think that's why he's so fascinated with it. Okay. He, my husband, guys, is fascinated with cults in general, but this one specifically. And I think it's because it's so close to his birthday. Oh, really? What date? It was November 18th, 1978. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, almost a month off. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, and just for reference, guys, that is the only book that I've ever purchased for Daniel. <laughs> yes, he has yet to read it, but now yeah. I have. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it was really, really good. It started at the beginning. She set out her her narrative to explain to you how normal people end up in cults. And there's sure. one quote specifically that I think is kind of at the heart of this, but it's people don't join cults knowingly; they join self-help groups, churches, etc., to feel part of something bigger than themselves. But it's mostly the innocent and the naive who find themselves trapped. Mm-hmm. So, like that's how Nexium got started was a self-help mm-hmm. thing. She's so yeah. that's kind of her whole thesis is that you know people don't join cults knowingly, knowing that they're gonna do harm to them they oh. like they joined the people's temple and especially in the 70s the late 60s 70s when the the people's temple was the strongest they were doing lots of social work they were the only non-segregated church in indiana when, where it started wow. and they moved to california and they did lots of community outreach for unwed mothers the african-american community for just, they just did lots and lots of, or the homeless, They did lots and lots and lots of community wow. outreach and things like that. However, Jim Jones slowly lost his ever-loving mind. And he became more paranoid and more paranoid. And then he started doing some really creepy things. Basically, he, he dissolved all familial relationships. So Deborah joined with, uh, and her mother joined later, but they were in the temple. They were no longer mother and daughter. They were both just temple members, wow. and Jim Jones was father. They all called him father. Interesting. And then he dissolves marriages. Mm. So he, he declares that all men are homosexual, he's the only one that they can sleep with. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it is Deborah starts with her story and her mom's story her mom actually escaped nazi germany wow yeah so she From was a jew to another. I just I just felt so bad for her mom cuz she died in guyana um her mom did and luckily she died 10 days before the the massacre happened um because she was sick with cancer okay. but she never got home She never got out. Uh, But anyway, so we talk about that. And then we talk about how that kind of shaped Deborah's mom. And how that kind of made her childhood different. And then Mm -hmm. she was a much later baby. So all of her siblings were like in college and had left her. So she was like without all of the attention she used to have. So she was kind of seeking attention, seeking somewhere to belong. And that's how she kind of got into the people's symbol because Jim Jones at, at first acts like you were the whole world, like the Mm -hmm. sun rises and sets with you, especially if you're a hot, young 18 year old, which I think she was actually 17 when she joined, she was there for seven years. Wow. And so they started out, you know, just doing really cool stuff. And then the more crazy weird stuff he did, um, the more paranoid he became. So Mm -hmm. at one point, she's worked her way into the inner circle and she thinks nothing of this. She's been kind of indoctrinated in you can't trust the government, the CIA and the FBI are watching us. And so then Jim sends her abroad to start moving money into foreign accounts. Like they've got millions of dollars in Swiss bank accounts and stuff like that. And so then the more he does of that, the more paranoid he gets. So they find a place where the government doesn't really care and he takes them to Guyana and he moves essentially around 900 people there (sighs) yeah and once they're there it becomes like a prison camp Hmm. they have to do manual labor there's not enough There's not enough food, there's not enough housing, things are just completely, completely terrible. And then he starts doing these white night drills, which is where he says they're loyalty tests, so everyone has to come and drink the Kool-Aid, and he tells them it's poisoned, it's a loyalty test, and then at the time where they should have died, they don't die. He's like, no, no, this was just a test. Then he sends his own people that don't talk to each other out into the jungle to start shooting to make the camp think that they're being raided by the Guyanese government, so everyone is terrified. And then he creates an environment where everyone snitches on everyone else, so you have no friends, so you're completely isolated, and it's just a terrifying experience. And Deborah is 24, and she she has gotten worked into the inner circle. So by the time she gets down there, she's kind of trusted. So it, once she starts to question what's happening, she's kind of starting to wake up and be like, how did I ignore this for so long? Um, she has a really harrowing escape because you, mm. you you can't leave sure. at this point. Um, you can leave in a body bag, but you you cannot leave. Especially mm. her because she knows where all the money is. Sure. Um, so it was kind of a terrifying experience. The Jim Jones had the American embassy in Guyana he had all the officials like in his pocket so you couldn't even go to the American embassy she tries to at one point call out to her sister who's still in the United States for help and it's just a whole crazy thing and she she sadly makes the decision that she can't escape with her mother so she has to leave her mother there Mm. and that's just really really sad because she never sees her again after that um so, she she does escape, and she gets back home, and she's trying to get people to pay attention. She's like, this is what's happening down there, and hardly anybody will pay attention. And finally, like eight months later, is when the congressman Ryan goes down there, and when, on November 18th, things go bad. So, they assassinate Ryan, and at the same time, the airstrip, there are reporters and the congressmen and there's some other people some family members that came with them to try to get their family members to leave and so several of them are actually killed in a shoot-off and jim jones realizes kind of what's happening and so at the exact same time in the compound he has everyone drink cyanide laced kool-aid or Flavorade, aid and 918 people died mm. 304 of them were children crazy my Favorite Murder is a podcast that I love and they have this quote that says, call your dad, you're in a cult. <laughs> and that's what makes me think of it. But like you said, like you don't just join a cult, like you join yeah. something that you think is going to help better and things right. like that. So it's just, it's not really how terribly. Of, yeah. He kind of really started as a socialist reformer or minister and then he just kind of went bananas hmm. and he had a couple of mistresses he had all these random kids and did Jim jones also drink cyanide or did he kill no, himself the bastard had someone shoot him in the head he died that day but he took the easier way out because cyanide poisoning is agonizingly painful sure well it no everybody knows about that that video of mm-hmm. the last few minutes yeah Mm-mm. Oh yeah, um, it's like a forty-minute recording of him going yeah. crazy. You can hear about it and yeah, and all the screams. well oh. yeah. Um, not video, audio recording, but yeah, that's nuts. But that sounds fascinating. Like I would love to read it. It um, it really was fascinating. Her escape was was honestly it was harrowing. Like I was on the edge of my seat. On on like I was just so tense like is she gonna make it like I know she makes it because she writes the book sure but obviously the way she was able to tell it was interesting and then surprisingly her brother Larry is the only person that ever was arrested or served any jail time for anything that went on in Guyana it's basically everybody else died but he was at the airstrip and they arrested him and charged him with the murder of the senator and he spent like 40 years in prison he just got he got out and He's up twenty years to someone. He got out in two thousand two. He's the only person that was ever charged with anything. And he got out. I mean, he he was indoctrinated. Like he wasn't really in his right space. But yeah, but you still make that choice. Like but he didn't actually in... shoot anybody. Oh, okay. He didn't do the killing. He just happened to be the only person standing gotcha. at the end of the day. Okay. Everybody else died. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. But her mom was sick and Jim took all of the pain medicines and all of, like, when you got to Guyana, he took your passport. They went through all of your luggage. If you had any medicines, they took it. So all of her cancer medicine, all of her pain medicine, they took it. So she actually passed away about 10 days before the massacre happened. Wow. But Deborah didn't know that for a year or so. Wow. She didn't know what had happened. But she wrote this book in 20, no, I'm sorry, in 1998. This was about 20, exactly 20 years after the the incident. Wow. It's been another Mm -hmm. 20 years. That's crazy. Okay. My next one is The Woman in Black by Susan Hill. This is another Daniel recommendation. This one was kind of up your alley a little Mm -hmm. bit. I was gonna say I'm intrigued by this one. The, the movie has Daniel Radcliffe in it. Right. So this is kind of this is a period piece. Uh and it's a it's kind of an, a haunting in a small English town. So Arthur Kipps, who I'm pretty sure is Daniel Radcliffe's character, he is a a new ish solicitor in London, and he's been trying to work his way up the ladder. His boss decides that he can kind of impart a little more responsibility onto him and gives Arthur a job to attend a funeral and then settle the affairs of a client, a widow named Mrs. Draplow of Eel Marsh house, which is a weird name. So her house the way to get to it is nuts. So you have to go down basically through these, I don't even know what to call them, kind of like sand dunes, but only when it's low tide, because when it's high tide, you can't get there. So it's like, you can only go like early Uh morning or late at night. Yeah. I don't ever want to live or visit a place that's inaccessible like that. right? Um, And so he decides that he, instead of like, going back and forth every day. He's just going to pack up and he's just going to go and stay at the house until he finishes his work because apparently she kept every little piece of paper ever <laughs> and he had to go through all of it in order to kind of figure out her affairs, what right. she owned, things like that. Old well, women reporters. <laughs> I am too. So he goes and ends up seeing this creepy woman in black. And as you go along, you kind of figure out her story. You hear terrifying things. But literally, as soon as you find out, maybe like two different things, I was able to put together what happened, why she's haunting, like what's going on, like immediately. And then the rest of the time, I'm like, it's because of this, you idiot. (laughs) How old is this? Obviously, Um, do you know when it was written? Yes, I do. Hold, please. This was written in like 89. Okay, I don't so it's think not it's like, like a classic. No, I, I don't you. think it's old old. I'll have to fact check that, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm pretty certain it was 89. So, I was going to give this 2 stars because the frightening things were literally you seeing the woman in black way off in the distance. That's all. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, I've already figured out why she's haunting the place. Like, this is dumb. But y'all, that ending? <laughs> I was like, okay. Are, you get another star. Just for the ending. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. That was good. That was good. But I don't understand why you would write such a stupidly boring book. And then, like, peek at, at like, five pages from the end. Like, I don't it was maybe poor poor structure planning or something I guess but I don't know I maybe I just went into it expecting more scary Mm -hmm. I I don't know but it was just it was really dull up until like literally three to five pages left of the book and I was like oh my god interesting such a good ending like no it was the ending was nuts um I asked Daniel if the ending in the book was the same at the, as the ending in the movie, and of course he couldn't remember. And I'm obviously I'm not so going to watch people. the movie. I know, I'm not going to watch the movie to find out myself. But it was the a movie damn looks good really ending. creepy. But like I said, I think it's the whole, the whole sensory experience in a movie that makes it more scary than the book. Yeah. Yeah, but I do think that if they did verbatim what the book did in the movie, the movie would be dull too. Just mm-hmm. because there's never anything that jumps out. Like there are a few like anxiety-ridden moments, mm-hmm. but it's nothing that ever like is visually going to be terrifying. So they had to have like changed it to make it scary cuz it legit was fine. Interesting. Um it was more just like Oh no, there's a ghost. Oh no, the goat got out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love Bone Goat. We're talking about the bone houses. I miss Bone Goat. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) But yeah, it was real boring. For me. For me. Not for everyone. There Mm -hmm. are plenty of people that have given this good rating. Mm -hmm. But for me, I thought it was fine. But the end was good. I wonder if like me you think that maybe you're you're just really scared of all like horror movie stuff but you're mostly averse to the gory stuff as opposed to like the Mm -mm. the haunted stuff no it's the opposite
1: i'm totally fine
0: with gore totally fine with gore but it's it's the the terrifying the the shit that jumps at you and stuff like that uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't do well with that. See, it's... I'm okay with that. And I watched The Conjuring with Daniel, and I didn't hate mm-hmm. it. But, mm-hmm. like, House of a Thousand Corpses or Hostel, I, I cannot do those. Those make me want to vomit. Nah, gore is fine. But, no, I watched Pet Cemetery when I was far too young. Watched it from behind the recliner at my grandma's house. And I think that screwed me up forever. I mean, probably a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, just a few. But yes. Good ending, boring story. Interesting. Well, that stinks because I was kind of interested in it as well. And you might like it. For me, I just felt because like you was... like dull things. That's what I heard. Yes, you say Tavia, because your you're boring. No, because it's more it was it's a period piece and you might like you might like it a little more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't particularly atmospheric or anything at all. Well, just the, the descriptions of how to get to her home. And at one point he tries to walk at night back from her house. Cause he's like, no, I'm done here. I'm going to walk. Like instead of waiting for someone to come and pick him up and that, that time that he tries to walk gets pretty creepy. Um, but it's more just, it's, it's an older man telling you this story when he from when he was young
1: so that that's that's something I haven't tried
0: before Mm -hmm. I like the old woman I wonder if I would like the old men I mean I I think that phrase needs more context I don't like old women or old men like like that Tavia just accept it it's fine be who you are (laughs) our repeated listeners will remember I like To read things about old women looking back on their lives, I wonder if I might like to read things about old men as well. (laughs) But yes, if you were to ever read it, I would be intrigued by your thoughts. And again, this was was this one was another short one uh, at about 178 pages. Nice. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. You say that every time. I know. I love it. I say it all the time in my real life. This is my real life me. I am never pretending. I am 100%. <laughs> what a, what a nerd. <laughs> yes. Speaking of things that are nerdy, I read The Trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson. I don't think that's nerdy. I think it's awesome. It was really good. It was a little dry at bits of it, but it is essentially a full account of, of the trial. Okay. Start to finish. The defense's plan. How they executed it. What the prosecution tried to do. The whole shebang. And it was written by Kara Robertson. Who is herself a lawyer. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: And what was actually
0: new. It just came out in 2019. Yes I remember when it came out. Mm-hmm. So it's about the August 4th. 1892 murders. Of Andrew and Abby Borden. And the trial of Andrew's daughter, Lizzie, and Abby's stepdaughter, for the murders. And I kind of don't think she did it. After reading the whole... So there's no, like, definitive proof, or No, I think it's going to be one of those things that we'll never know. Like, it's very circumstantial. Like, all of the evidence they had on her was just, like, they never found a murder weapon. When they showed up you know the time of death for the the dad was not like 30 minutes and she had no blood on her whatsoever and they were hacked to death with a hatchet oh so yeah she would definitely be bloody yeah and that's not so that enough time to that, draw water from the well <laughs> one of the scandalous suggestions of the time was that she committed the crimes in the nude <laughs> that was <gasps> my god literally terrifying to people to think of back then I mean, it would be pretty terrifying to be murdered by a nude person with a hatchet. Yeah. I mean, but even now, that would be terrible. Yeah. I mean, there was some tension in the house for sure. She did not get along with her stepmother particularly at all. And her and her sister were spinsters. And still living at home. So her sister was in her 40s and she was 31 at the time of the murders. So they were considered spinsters um, at the time. Sure. Having been with the stepmom for a long time and just tension and stuff. So they kind of tried to play on that to accuse her of it. But the only thing that I think suggests that she could have been the only one to do it is the timeline. Because Abby was killed an hour and a half before Andrew. So who else could have been in the house, stayed that long, not be seen? Because Lizzie and the maid, Bridget, were both home the whole time. But during the time of Andrew's murder, Lizzie claims that she had gone out to the barn for about 20 minutes. Uh, and so they think that that was implausible because it was August and it was hot. Okay. But so the only thing is kind of the timeline it, it would be questionable for someone to sneak in, kill Abby, hide for an hour and a half, and wait for Andrew to come home, and then kill mm. him. Because he was out doing business. And okay. Things. And when he got home, he went to lay down on the sofa for a nap. Um, and Abby, or then he was murdered. So they find it implausible that Lizzie didn't hear anything or see Abby. And then Andrew died, you know. So they, that's why they think it could have only been her or the maid. Okay. And the maid had a pretty clear story. But when they go to start questioning Lizzie, the doctor has given her tonic for her nerves. And come to find out, it had morphine in it. So they start questioning her at this inquest, and none of her answers make sense. So, like, all of her timelines are off. She can't remember things. She was on morphine, y'all. They were questioning her on morphine. <laughs> of course mm. it didn't make sense yeah that'll do it yeah but it was it happened in Fall River Massachusetts which is not too far from Salem I think an hour and a half in a modern car (laughs) sure but by horse yes it would have taken many moons to get there the book itself is really cool it's like I said a full account they go through the inquest they go through the local trial and then they go through the grand jury and so she has, like, three things, and wow. at the end, they, she is acquitted. They find her not guilty. Oh, I didn't so, know that. I thought yeah. she was hung. Okay. Oh, no. She lives the rest of her life in Fall River, kind of being ostracized because people sure. are like, uh. Murderer. But she, was, sure. she was acquitted, and her and her sister move into this house down the road from where she lived, and live there the rest of their lives, and she dies in 1927. Wow interesting you can rent a room in the borden house it's a bed and breakfast now yeah caitlin talked about going to it when she visited salem and i was like no you could not pay me enough money to stay in this house interesting where these people were hacked to death sure sure interesting but i i don't know it's just so it's so ambiguous that for half the book I think, oh yeah, she for sure did it. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I actually don't think she did. Her defense attorneys did such a good job that I don't think she did it anymore. Where was her sister? Her sister had been away visiting friends. Oh okay. As the rich did in the sure. day. They were on sure. a summer holiday. She was away. She had been away for like two weeks. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But the trial is an interesting read on the treatment of women in the late 1800s, of the treatment of the classes. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize this. This is an interesting fact. Female jurors were not a thing in Massachusetts until 1950. Well, that checks out. Yeah. And oh. there are still sealed files in the law office of Lizzie Borden's testimony Cause she didn't testify for herself because in Massachusetts, you don't have to. Right. Um, unless you voluntarily do it. And because of the way that her and her lawyer set things up for attorney client privilege, he then founded this law firm and stored those files away. And through the years, the people said, well, no, those are still covered even though they're passed away. The law still prevents us from disclosing this information is there a an expiration date on that law no nope we'll never see them the for perpetuity it will forever those files will forever be sealed they're in a law office in massachusetts in a filing cabinet and it's lizzie's personal discussion with her lawyer about the case wow never will never know what that says huh that's but nuts. I thought it was really cool. The book has tons of pictures in it too. Pictures of Lizzie, picture of Emma, her sister, crime scene photographs. Oh. Yeah. The whole shebang. They have aerial maps. Um, during the pre-trial, they took the jury on a field trip <gasps> to the house Fun. and like, toured them around the yard to see, well, if she was here, you could have could you have seen her from here? could this is this plausible yeah it's just kind of wild stuff that who would have thought that they did but that's so cool though yeah and then you know one of the main things back at the time is that a lady couldn't have committed this crime cuz the well-born too... didn't do crimes like this right she... women are far too fragile and dainty to right. commit crimes yes but the prosecution Clung to the fact that she was actually experiencing her monthly illness, which, as everyone knows, means that women—homicidal, right? It it means that women can be uh, turned into to fiends and maniacs because they are bleeding so much. It you know, uh, Mm -hmm. it 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 changes their uh, physiognomy so that they no longer can control themselves. So they just murder everyone. Yeah, I mean I've definitely murdered a human in my day. So, yeah, I've thought real hard about it. <laughs> but that was like a okay. common conception at the time and then the trial they also talked about how the criminal, like the view of the criminal was changing at that time to to you know the well-born People couldn't possibly commit these crimes Mm-mm. because they were so much more evolved than the lower. They were classes. so, so well educated, well yeah. read. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's definitely an simpler. interesting study in the treatment of women and the treatment of classes because they they treat the maid who is an Irish immigrant quite a bit differently, and they find out she has an airtight like they never go after her after you know that but she's definitely treated differently and then the crazy things they say about her because about lizzie because she's a woman Mm -hmm. just ridiculous i mean you know just ridiculous sure Sure. and i I can't get over 1950 female jurors like so she was tried by a group of older white men that don't know anything about being a woman whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, women weren't allowed to buy their own home without a man until just a few decades ago. So, yeah. like, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Thank you, RBG. Um, okay. Moving on. Yeah. I have got one that has been everywhere. So, I'm going to talk about Mexican Gothic. Oh, by... yes. <laughs> so, again, another great Tavia book. So this is by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Were you invaded by um, a pod person this week, and it was me? I know, so weird. But it was everywhere, and I just wanted to read it because it's so pretty. It's so pretty, and it's based in Mexico, and so like it's it had it checked a lot of boxes that I don't normally do. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to check it out. So this is it's set in either the forties or the fifties. You couldn't so, infer it, from context clues. No, Tavia. I don't know their dressing style and their type of cars. No, no. Um, but I've I dwindled it down to forties or fifties. Uh, it was after apparent uh, the Mexican Revolution. So if you know when that was, it was after. um I don't. Since uh, the <laughs> so cool, cool, cool. Uh, so we are. Um, Protagonist is Noemi Tabo. Hang on, Taboada, Taboada, Noemi Taboada. She is kind of this young socialite. Her father is very rich. They own a printing company. Um, they receive a kind of crazy letter. From her cousin, Catalina, who up and married a man very quickly, moved off to the countryside with him. They received a very strange letter from her saying that she was hearing voices in the walls. um, Something about he, she never names names, but she says he's mistreating me. He's doing things, like he does bad things. And so her father, Noemi's father, asks her, he says that he's tried to right with her husband, her husband, and tried to say, Hey, we need to get her some psychi- psychiatric help. She's obviously hearing things like we need to get her taken care of. And the husband is just like, no. And so Noemi's father asks, can you please try to go visit her? Kind of see what's going on. See if you can talk her husband into letting her come back, at least to go to Mexico city and see a, a specialist. And so Noemi pissed that she was um, bothered at a party with this job. So she goes such a strange place. So it is. So where she ends up going is this very, very old, dilapidated house that you might think of Miss Havisham living in. But and so the walls are covered in mold. They own. Shitloads of silver, but the house is falling apart, and the family is so strange there. You're not allowed to speak at meals. Um, you're not allowed to do very odd things in the home. And every time Noemi is like, Hey, can I please see Catalina now? Like, I came to see her. Can I go see her? of the time no you can't she's resting and then the other the 10% that she's able to go speak to Catalina she's either talking crazy like can't you hear them or like pod person happy one of the two and so then Noemi spends a lot of time there by herself and eventually befriends Francis the youngest in the family closest to her age and so, he's very sweet and he's very gentle. Kind of has a little bit of a crush on her. So, she kind of talks him into taking her to town so she can find out more about the family and things like that. And she eventually figures out that this family has been around for way longer than they should have been around. Like, hundreds of years Interesting. longer than they should have been around. And their home, high place, uh, she eventually does hear things from the walls. And she does start to see crazy things. Her dreams are taken over by someone that tried to kill everyone in the family. Mm -hmm. And it's constantly being, like, in her dreams that the person in the family that tried to kill everyone... Um, she's constantly telling Noemi, Keep your eyes open, open your eyes, and it just gets hella creepy. It's very much a Gothic style mm-hmm. of creepy, so it's and so it's not like terrifying, but i it was so good. But I broke my rule of reading scary stuff after dark and read until like 2 in the morning. And then I had to go to the bathroom and it was very dark in the house and I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> I woke scary. up to a text about this. It was amusing. <laughs> but it was very interesting. I think you would like it. Noemi Naomi does eventually figure out what's going on without realizing that she figures it out. And but you as the reader are like that. There's no way that that's right, but it is, and it's just like, cool. it was it was a lot. It was beautifully written, beautifully written, um, and it's just it's very cool to see like kind of the um, the light and how things work, but in Mexico in the yeah. 50s, and, and it was just it was really neat. It was cool. it was really cool.
1: Um, how many stars could you of, give
0: it? Um, I gave it. I I gave it three and a half. Um, I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the writing, but I'll I'll probably never read it again. Um, gotcha. But I did. I did like it. I thought it was good. Um, it wasn't. It's not my kind of thing. Like it's yeah. definitely more of a. You would give it four or five stars. Um, oh. But I I gave it three and a half. Um, I'm a bit of a slut when it comes to my stars. You are. You just give them out freely to whoever. Shows you a little bit of love. But, yes, I did enjoy it. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah it's a beautiful awesome. book. Awesome. Yeah, the cover is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Do you have a physical copy of it? I don't. I had to wait, like, six weeks for it as an ebook. <laughs> I almost got it as one of my book of the month picks, but I chose something different, so... But, yeah, I hope you guys have thoroughly enjoyed your October reading as much as I have and Tavia has. Yeah, we have been having a blast with this. I have read, like, um nine books, I think, already this Killing month. Killing it. hmm I think I'm right behind you, seven or eight. Um. Yeah. But, yeah, it's been Some a great really month good of Some really good stuff, too good month of reading. I've, 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 I'm proud of myself for really branching out. Um, I've definitely read some stuff that I probably never would have picked up by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. And I hope to like really knock out this month with a bang. We're going to read Frankenstein and talk about it next week. Yes. super pumped about that super pumped about it and I think we're gonna try to fit in as many other books as we can fit in yeah I think um, we're gonna do just like a rapid fire to round out the month of October because we still have some yes. stuff to talk about that we haven't got to. I know I I just want to just do all of them <laughs> but yes we're gonna we're gonna try to give you as many spooky options as possible so very much looking forward to next week as well mm-hmm. me too pay I hope you guys are thoroughly enjoying your October. It is beautiful here again this week. It's it's just been it's great. Been glorious. Yeah. I've had my windows open. Same. But then the other night I did have to break down and turn the heat on finally. Girl, I'm not going to turn on my heat until the house itself is below 60 degrees inside. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. And hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about some random stuff this week. Um, weird stuff do not go out there and get joining any cults or get murdered no no Come cults no hatchet killing none of the above right but yeah we'll talk to y'all next week bye, bye. bye.